Well, it's good to see you all tonight. Um, I, I hope you had a great day. I did. I, I enjoyed some good food. I walked around the lake. I, I went up to the gym and worked out. Sheesh, body, soul, and spirit. Yeah. So last night I told you a little bit about myself. So now I want to learn a little bit more about you all. So uh, how many of you here are first-generation Christians? You, you're the first one in your family. You take, come out and get, become a follower of Jesus Christ. All right? How many of you were raised in a Christian family? From day one you heard about Jesus. Okay. Uh, how many of you come from Baptist churches? That's your background, Baptist church background. Raise your hand. You're proud Baptist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how many from uh, just a non-denominational community church? Raise your hand. All right. How many from a Bible church? It's like that's very significant in the name. We are whatever Bible church. Any, anybody? Yeah, okay. Uh, how many Presbyterians do we have among us? All right. Uh, I hope you brought your book of church order so you can see exactly how we do things. Uh, how many Methodists? Anybody? Methodists? Episcopal? Roman Catholic. Anybody have a Roman Catholic background? All right. Anybody from a Calvary Chapel? That's your... your source. Okay. How about Assemblies of God or Foursquare? All right. No. Anything, anybody I didn't, I missed, but you, that's your back. Nazarene, the Christian, uh, the Christian church, Church of Christ. Brethren. Okay. Grace Brethren, Plymouth Brethren. Grace Brethren. Okay. So you want to get your brethren, open brethren or closed brethren? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, there's an old joke about that, right? You know, guy's driving in a car on a bridge, and there's a guy standing. He's going to jump off the bridge. He stops. He goes, don't do it, don't do it. And, and he, tr he tries to talk him down from it. And he goes, tell me about your background. And he goes, well, I'm from Michigan. And the guy who stopped said, I'm from Michigan too. He goes, what else? He goes, well, I, I'm, I'm part of the Brethren Church. Well, I'm from the Brethren Church too. And he goes, uh, I'm from uh, the Northern Brethren. I'm from the Northern Brethren, too. And then the guy says, were you, were you open brethren or closed brethren? And he says, we were open brethren. And the guy who stopped the car came up and pushed him off and said, die, heretic. <laughs> it's a little inside joke about how we Christians argue about stupid stuff. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, okay, uh, how many of you come from churches of like 100 or less? All right. How many of your churches like, you know, 100 to 500 people? How many of your churches like 500 to 1,000 people? How many of your churches more than 1,000 people? Okay. You know, these are just, these are interesting dynamics. I, I, one of the things I like about being up here at, at Hume at lunch and at, at dinner, I always eat with the staff and I always talk to the kids that are up here working for the summer and, uh, we get into all these conversations, and just even tonight at, at dinner time, we we're in a conversation. And we're talking about some issues, and how much of our worldview, our Christian worldview, our Christian understanding, isn't just shaped by the Bible, but it's kind of our particular brand of Christianity that we grew up with, and what church we grew up in, or how large a church. I was talking even this at, at lunchtime with someone talking about how a, a mechanic of how we do church, and I said, well, that's not really a function of theology or the Bible, it's how, it's the size. If your church is 50 versus 500 versus 5,000, you have to do some things a little differently. It's not meaning you're trying to make a theological statement, you're just trying to logistically do what you think the Bible says to do, but you have to do it differently because you got 
different amounts of people there. So there are factors that affect our thinking beyond the Bible. But last night, the thing that I tried to emphasize as we start talking about identity is that the truest thing about us is what God says is true. And if you remember, we, we looked at Romans chapter 5, and in Romans 5, it contrasts Adam and Christ. We all came into this world, every human being came into this world with an identity connected to Adam, our first ancestor. But when we come into a saving relationship with Christ and we're saved by God's grace, we are transferred into a new identity in Christ. So uh, I even used this illustration last night. I said, like, picture a circle here, and this is everything that's true in Adam. So we come into this world, and everything that's in that circle is true about us. So we have an an Adamic nature, which the Bible says we have a sin nature because of that. And we sin because we're sinners, because that's the heritage that we have inherited from Adam. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our identity is transferred into Christ. And now if you picture there's a circle here, and everything that's true about Christ is now true about us. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and we have a brand new spiritual identity. So tonight and uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, I want to unpack what that means. Not everything. I can't unpack everything, but I want to unpack some very specific things about our new identity in Christ. And, and what I want to unpack tonight is how we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, and that's where we're going to kind of spend most of our time unpacking that concept of being blessed with every spiritual blessing and what are those spiritual blessings and how understanding and appropriating those spiritual blessings changes our lives. So it says this in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him." with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. And in Him you also have Uh, After listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, in Greek, that's one sentence, which is terrible grammar, but unbelievable theology. There is... Is it's like the Apostle Paul is starting to write something. He, you know, the Holy Spirit is downloading this truth, and Paul is writing it in his words, and it's so phenomenal what he's writing. 
It's just like he doesn't stop to put commas and semicolons and periods in what he's saying. He's just, it's like, I got to tell you how awesome this is. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And and I, I happen to believe that when this truth can really grip your heart and your mind, It'll, it'll transform you. It goes back to what we talked about last night. Identity determines destiny. When we see ourselves as people who've been blessed by God, and not just, you know, token blessed by God, but blessed with every spiritual blessing and all that that means, it, it, it changes our self-perspective. It changes our self-image. Uh, and it, it changes our view of God. And it, and it changes the confidence about which we, we, live, our, we live our lives. So um, I've got several observations. We'll just kind of take these and unpack them. So the first one, just the, the, the most obvious one, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Wow, that's a great observation, JP. Where did you get that? Well, it says it right there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So in, in the passage, it's every spiritual blessing kind of past, present, and future because Paul reaches all the way back to to the pa- in the past, like, you know, in eternity, it says He chose us in Him. So long before God created and, and even began to providentially work in people's lives, He, he, he chose us. And then it works itself through our, our calling and receiving forgiveness through Christ and the cross and the blood of Christ and being redeemed and then receiving an inheritance that God's given to us. And then it says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then he says who's given as a pledge to our future inheritance, the full redemption of our body. So now it's looking off into, into eternity in the future. So I know it's not doesn't really make sense to use time words when you're talking about eternity, but I'm going to do it anyway. There was a time before time began and God chose to bless us and those blessings extend all the way into the time when time no longer exists. So it's like the whole package. Is it is if you know if you've ever gone to a restaurant where it's it's like there's all these things on the menu that you know you can get Mexican food, you can get Italian food, you can get Chinese food, you can get it. It's all on the menu. Well it's like God said, I'm giving you everything on the menu. So every blessing I have on my menu of blessings, I've given it to you. Um, I I told you last night I I Start off my time in ministry working with Campus Crusade for Christ. Bill, Dr. Bill Wright, president and founder of Campus Crusade, he used to use this illustration a lot. Tell the story of a guy, you know, over 100 years ago who was taking a steamship to Europe, saved up all of his money, barely had enough money to buy a ticket. He just wanted to get to Europe. So he bought a ticket to Europe, and with the little change he had left over, he brought, bought some cheese and crackers and figured, you know, several days across the the Atlantic Ocean, I'll eat these cheese and crackers and I'll get over, get over to Europe. So he gets on board the ship. He's just so excited because he's on the ship. This was his dream. He, he's, he's going to Europe. He's got his ticket. He, he's going. And uh, he walks by the dining room and he sees that people are eating these really fancy meals. And he's got these che- cheese and crackers. But he says, you know what? That's okay. I'm on the, I'm on the ship. I'm going to Europe. That's, that was my dream. I can, I, can, I can do it. The next morning he wakes up and he smells bacon and he, he sees they're eating waffles and eggs and pancakes and, and omelets and he's like, it's okay, I got these cheese and crackers. I, I can do it. So that night they're frying steaks and he smells that and he's like, oh, oh my gosh, I, I don't know. 
So he goes to the captain's quarters and he goes, listen, I brought these cheese and crackers with me, but I'll do anything. I'll, 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 I'll swab the decks. I'll, I'll load the steam into the, load the coal into the steam engine. I'll do whatever it takes to be able to get some of these mills. And the captain looked at him and said, well, sir, do you, do you have a ticket? He goes, yeah. He handed him a ticket and he goes, well, all the mills come with the price of the ticket. See, he was eating cheese and crackers when he couldn't have been having all those meals. He just didn't know it. There's a lot of cheese and cracker Christians. So we're struggling. We're struggling with all kinds of issues because we don't know what God's provided for us. We don't know the, the blessings that God has for us. We don't understand how much He loves us. We don't know the provision that the Holy Spirit gives to us. We, we don't understand how to access what Jesus has to offer to us. And so because of ignorance, we, we live lives of self-imposed struggle when we could be experiencing all that God has for us in the spiritual blessings. So the Apostle Paul, he, he clarifies what these spiritual blessings are in this passage. Um, and he, he, he talks about how God chose us in the past and God has sealed us for the future. And in, in the midst of this, he says in verse 9, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This is one of those passages uh, you know, there's these two themes in the Bible. Uh, um, the, 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 there's a, a, a theme in the Bible of human freedom and choice and responsibility, right? But there's also a theme in the Bible of God's sovereign providential work. And a, a lot of what we do in theology is try to figure that out, um, which... It's interesting because Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons that we might obey all the words of this law. That's my favorite verse, by the way, as a professor of theology at Biola when students ask me questions that I don't know the answer to. I just say, well, you know, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons that we might obey all the words of this law. That's one of those secret things. Um, I happen to believe this is one of those secret things. Having said that, Ephesians chapter 1, when you look at it, is a passage that's putting the emphasis on the sovereign nature of God, the sovereign plan of God, the sovereign working of God. That I just want to let you know that as I'm unpacking this, that there are other scriptures that would put the emphasis, let's say, on the freedom and human responsibility. In fact, you know that, that video that we saw about Joshua, the, 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 chap, the quote that, that was put there uh, that they said about uh, the Joshua program comes from Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30 happens to say, um, I put before you life and death, and I would that you would choose life. So it's a, it's a passage that actually emphasizes the choices that we make and the consequences of the choices that we make. We make choices all the time, and they're choices for life and death, and God says, I'm putting that before you, but you get to choose. I, I, I would that you would choose life, but you're going to choose. What's interesting about that is that very passage, it's what is the background for what Paul 
uses in Romans chapter 10, when he quotes, he quotes from Deuteronomy 30 and says, this word is not so far off that you have to go climb a mountain to get it, and it's not so far off that you have to cross the sea to get it, but it's right here. It's right here in your mouth. That's right in Deuteronomy 30, right before it says, I put before you life and death, blessing and cursing, and I would that you would choose life. That, Paul quotes that passage. He says, it, the word is right here. It's right before you. It's not so far off that you have to go climb a mountain to get it. It's not so far across the sea that you have to swim across the sea to get it, but it's right here in your mouth. And then you know what he says next is, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So it's kind of interesting tie-in of those scriptures. So just want to let you know, some scriptures strongly emphasize the human freedom choice. Some scriptures strongly emphasize God's sovereign choice. It's above my pay grade to figure that all out. You know, I'm not trying to solve that. I just want to let you know, I acknowledge that Ephesians chapter 1 is using language that very much speaks of God's sovereignty. Because God is the sovereign blesser. So even as it's speaking about God's sovereignty, what is it telling us about God and his sovereignty? He's a blesser. He's a great giver. He's a savior. He's someone who wants to bring redemption to people's lives. He's someone who blesses us. And that's the way we're, we're to be perceiving that. And so in these blessings, blessed with every spiritual blessing, some bless the blessed that were that be initiated back in eternity past, that worked themselves out in time and space, and they're blessed all the way into the future, there is this theme of God's providence. Providence is the sovereign working of God in history. So it's God moving right now. God, God is a God who works not just in the past and not just in the future, but He, he works now. He, he, he involves Himself in our lives now. He is near to us now. He hears and answers our prayers now. He comes close to be with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death now. And so Paul is acknowledging that in these spiritual blessings. Second observation, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Second observation is we are blessed by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a Trinitarian passage. Um, It speaks about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It mentions Christ seven times. It refers to Christ as he or him or the one five times. And it refers to the Holy Spirit as the one who has sealed us in our redemption. And the way it lays out kind of structurally, there are all these blessings. The first group of blessings are related to the Father the second group of blessings are related to the Son, and the third group of blessings are related to the Holy Spirit. So we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing by the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So all of who God is has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. This Again, this is just the way we're supposed to think and kind of renew our minds with what's true about us and who God is and what God has said about us. This passage is telling us by way of spiritual blessings the nature of God. God is a trinity. Um, I think of Waikiki Beach when I think of the trinity. You say, JP, why do you think of Waikiki Beach? Because I took up my family on a family vacation. We go on a big vacation every 
summer. Uh, I still do that with my grown kids and my grandkids. I pay my kids to be with me one week out of the year. Yes, that's what I do. So sometimes we go to Hawaii, sometimes we go down to Mexico, you know, we do something. So uh, my, I think my kids at this time were maybe uh, 15, 12, and uh, 9. That's, that's probably the breakdown because they're like three years apart, right? So I'm laying on the beach of Waikiki with my nine-year-old daughter, Ashton, who she's a missionary now. And so we're, we're having a conversation. She goes, Dad, tell, help, explain the Trinity to me. I'm on vacation in Hawaii. Why do I want to explain the Trinity? I say, okay. So we're laying on the sand like this. So we're both kind of laying on our stomachs like this. She's laying here. I'm laying here. And so I reach out into the sand, and I, I say, okay, Ashton, it, okay, here. And I, and I drew a triangle. And I said, what's that? She goes, that's a triangle. And I said, okay. And then I drew in the middle of the triangle, God. And I said, now, how many sides does this have to have to be a triangle? She goes, we've got to have all three sides. So I took, and I kind of took the, my hand like this, and I took, and I wiped away one of the sides, and I said, is that a triangle? And she said, no. And then I drew it back, and then I wiped the bottom. Was that a triangle? No. And then I put it back, and then I put this like this, and I wiped this away. Is that a triangle? No. You've got to have all three sides. I said, okay. And then I wrote Father, Son, Spirit. And then I said, now, how many sides do you have to have a triangle? She said, we've got to have all three. So then I took this like this and took Son away. I said, so is that God? She looked at it. She says, well, it says God there, but so that's the Father. No. I go, okay. And then I, and I did the same thing. I said, so one God, three persons. One God, three persons. I go, now that, I go, I, I, I can't, I can explain that. That's because that's what the Bible says. I said, but, you know, fully wrapping your hands around that, I, I can't. And my wife was eating an apple at the time. I said, honey, give me that apple. So I took, took the apple. I said, so, Ashton, see this apple? I said, What's right there inside? Because my wife had taken a bite. Well, that's the core. And what's this? So that's just the, you know, that's the apple part. What's this? That's the skin. I go, well, see, you got the skin, you got the apple part, you got the core. You got to have all of them for it to be an apple. I go, God, by his nature, is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then she said, Dad, will you teach me how to surf? So then we went and did surfing lessons, and so that was it. Um, this passage isn't kind of giving us a big treatise on the Trinity. It's, Paul's just writing it with an assumption, this is who God is. The God, the, the true God, the God who is, is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He has blessed us. The Father has blessed us. The Son has blessed us. The Holy Spirit has blessed us. In fact, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. So the Trinity has fully engaged with us. The fullness of God has engaged in blessing us with every spiritual blessing. So that's second observation. Here's the third observation. We're blessed to give God glory. We're blessed to give God glory because in this passage in Ephesians 3, 1 to 14, three times it says, to the praise of the glory of His grace, to the praise of the glory of His grace, to the praise of the glory of His grace. So after it talks about the blessings bestowed upon us from the Father, it says to the praise of the glory of His grace. After the blessings bestowed on us from the Son, it says to the praise of the glory of His grace. And after the blessings related to the Holy Spirit, it says to the praise of the glory of His grace. So the ultimate object, the ultimate object 
isn't us. It's God himself. See, this is where I think our, our thinking our thinking about God and our thinking about the Bible and our thinking about theological issues is easily skewed. When we, when we think that human beings are the ultimate concern of God, we develop a system of thinking that makes kind of God a genie in a lamp who is obligated to give us our wish when we rub the lamp the right way. We, we are the ones being blessed. Human beings are the ones being blessed. But the blessings are ultimately for the purpose that God would get glory. The glory of God is the ultimate theme of creation. So this passage talks about, you know, in eternity, God choosing and then God creating and working and sending Jesus and the Holy Spirit and then ultimately eternal redemption. And the whole shooting match, the ultimate goal is not for our salvation. The ultimate goal is for God's glory. But what is it that glorifies God? Our salvation. Blessing us glorifies God because God is the great blesser. Now, you know, when, we used to, when I was a kid, we used to play sports, especially this was true like in, in basketball. If someone in basketball never passed the ball and they always kept the ball and they would always shoot it for, them, for themselves, we call them a ball hog or a glory hog. So, and you got to get, get your thinking, you know, got to put, put your biblical thinking caps on to wrap your hand, hands around this. God is the only one for whom it's holy for him to seek his glory. It's not holy for me to seek my glory. It's not holy for you to seek your glory. But it's, glo- it's holy for God to seek his glory because of the nature of who God is. So if, if, we, don't, if we don't have a view of God that, that embraces him as the holy one, and the one who deserves all praise, all honor, and all glory, we would think it's kind of prideful of God to seek His glory. But it's not prideful of God to seek His glory. It's glorious of God to seek His glory. So it's interesting. Here's a passage talking about how God's blessed us, but it's telling us something about the nature of God. God is is one whose nature deserves glory. And so He's worked in time, in history, so that what he does brings him glory. And when we recognize what he does, it brings him glory. When we receive what he does, it brings him glory. So receiving your spiritual blessings, rather than that being something like, oh, well, that's, that's kind of self-centered to receive spiritual blessings. No, it glorifies God. Because God's blessed you. It glorifies God for you to agree with him in the fact that you've been blessed. It glorifies God for you to receive those blessings into your life. It glorifies God for you to be set free by those blessings. It glorifies God for you to live in the fullness of those blessings. It glorifies God for you to 
be in relationship with other people on the basis of your blessings. Because God is working for the praise of the glory of, of his grace. So he repeats that phrase three times, and it, it puts the emphasis on, on what, what glory really is. Okay, so now we come down to, well, what are these blessings, all right? So Paul kind of writes them out. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. I don't think what he does here is tells us every one of the blessings. I think he gives us a representative list of what these spiritual blessings are. But the list is sufficient enough to kind of transform the way we think about God and transform the way we think about ourselves. Because when we, when we see ourselves in the light of what God says is true about us, that's transformative. And I said this last night. The truest thing about you is what God says is true. So the truest thing about you is what God says is true. If, if I was reading in the Bible and there was a command, what, what would be the, um, the appropriate response? If, if you see a command in the Bible, what's the appropriate response? Obey it. If you see a promise in the Bible, what would be the appropriate response? So you somehow claim it or kind of try to meet the conditions to experience it. If you see a truth statement in the Bible, what's the appropriate response? Believe it. These are true statements. That in, in, the, in the Greek language, that's known as the indicative mood. There's in, the, in the grammar of Greek, there is, um, there's a way of stating the relationship of something to reality. So if something may happen, that's called the subjunctive mood. If something should happen, that's the imperative mood. If something is happening, that's the indicative mood. So these are all in the indicative mood in Greek. In other words, this is just the way it is. This is what's true. This is what's true. This is what God says is true. So he says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's true. Uh, he says that we've been chosen to be holy and blameless. God chose us. Um, that's that's the, the Greek verb is eklego, and it's in, it, 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 it's in a construction means he chose us for himself. God chose us for himself. We, we, belong, we belong to God. We have, we have a new just spiritual identity because we, we actually belong to him. He chose us. He picked us. You know, remember, remember when we were kids and you'd pick teams for stuff? Now is that, that poor kid that got picked last, you know? God picked us. Knowing everything there is to know about us, knowing all of our our frailties and brokenness and struggles and doubts and secret sins. He picked us. He chose us. And He chose us to be holy and blameless. He chose us to be set apart. He chose us to, 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 to live a, a, a transformed life. And then it says, um, we've been predestined to adoption as sons. So that word predestined is a kind of a similar word to 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 choose, the, the word for, for to choose is eklego. The word to predestine is the Greek word praharizo, and it means to mark out beforehand. So it, it, it's like if I, if I drew a circle up here before anybody, before anybody came into the room and I, I drew that circle in anticipation that somebody was going to come in the room and come and stand in that circle. 
I drew it out beforehand. Before the person walked over and stood in it, I drew it out with the expectation they were going to come over and stand in it. That's the idea of predestined. God predestined us, it says. He predestined us to adoption as sons. So the, the, what he predestined us into is to be his adopted sons. And, and both men and women in the theological sense are sons of God. I know we would say we're sons and daughters of God, but in the Roman world, the son, uh, the firstborn son was the heir of the inheritance. So if, if, uh, if a family didn't have, if family had multiple sons, the firstborn son, when the, when the father died, everything went to the firstborn son, he got to decide whether he gave it to his siblings or not. If a family didn't have any male heirs, then they would do a ceremony of adoption and adopt someone into the family, and that person adopted into the family would be the heir of the inheritance. And so saying that we're sons of God means we're, we're heirs of everything that God has. So all of his love and forgiveness and heaven and hope and every good thing that you possibly think God has to give, you're an heir of it because you are a son in his family. And, and the idea of adoption is that you, you weren't naturally born into it. It was God who chose you to bring you into his family and place you in that position of being a son so that you would be the heir of all of the inheritance. It's the same thing that um, Paul says over in Romans chapter 8, where he says in Romans 8, 12, all, uh, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, and we haven't received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So we, we, we have this blessed, privileged position as uh, as, as sons uh, of God, we've been predestined to that. And then it says, these are all these spiritual blessings that, that the Father's bestowed on us. And then it says that we have been freely given grace. Um, it's, it's a play on words. It's He's graciously given grace. God graciously gives grace. So... Everything that we, we have in the Christian life, we receive by grace. You know, it's not, it's not by performance. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by works. It's not like by some system of earning it. No, just God just graciously chooses to give it to us. So here he's talking about our blessings in Christ. This is that circle illustration that I'm saying. Now, we're in Christ. Well, what do we have in Christ? Well, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Okay, well, tell me what some of those are. God chose me before I ever came on the scene. God, God predestined me to be his adopted son. God just graciously gave me grace. Paul's just kind of talking about these. And then he says, um, verse 7, that we've been redeemed and forgiven. Redeemed and forgiven. There's a whole series of words, this, this word for redemption. Um, the, the idea behind redemption is buying something out of, out of the marketplace. So, you know, I like to go to uh, Home Depot, which is the adult Toys R Us, right? And, and I got a $50 rule at Home Depot. I can't, no matter what I go in there, I can't get out without spending 50 bucks because it's like, oh, I got to have this, I got to have that, I need this, I need this. You know, and you, so I go up and I've got my stuff at Home Depot and I go to the counter and... Uh, they, they take it and they, they, they put it across that little scanner, right? And it reads the barcode. And then what comes up 
when, it, you know, when that scanner reads the barcode, what comes up there? The price. Now, if I pay that price, that item no longer belongs to Home Depot. Who does it belong to? Me, because I paid the price. That's the word for redemption. There's, there's a price that has to be paid for us. And when, you know, our lives were scanned over the uh, kind of the, the spiritual scanner, the barcode read, the blood of Jesus. That's what had to be paid. So whenever you see this word redemption, it's always going to be associated with the blood of Christ or the cross, what Jesus did on the cross. And that's where it is here in Ephesians 1 where it says that. So the price was paid and now we don't belong to sin anymore or the world anymore or the devil anymore. We belong to Christ because he, he purchased us. That's one of our spiritual blessings. And part of being purchased, it says, is that we've, we've been forgiven for all of our sins. There's a couple of words for forgiveness in the New Testament. This one means to, to, uh, to wipe out or to take away. So if, if I had a big uh, whiteboard up here, and I just uh, I started over here with art, and I said, okay, you know, tell me all your sins. And I wrote them all up there. I'd have to, probably have to go get some more whiteboards, right? Yeah. So it, let's say collectively I did this with everyone in the room, and then we filled up all these whiteboards, and we're kind of looking at that. You know, yeah, you know. But then I came, and I had a big eraser, and I just wiped it away, removed it, took it off the board, made it completely clean. It, that's the Greek word ephasis. It means to take away. So what, whatever accusations against us there would be on the whiteboard if our lives were fully revealed, they, it's been completely taken away. That's what, that's what God's done in forgiveness. It's one of those spiritual blessings that we now have. That's the truest thing about me. The truest thing about me is what God says is true. The truest thing about you is what God says is true. When God looks at you, he sees you're a person I've chosen. You're a person I've predestined. You're my son. I've, I've redeemed you. I've forgiven you. When we begin to see ourselves that way, can you see how, how tremendously that makes a difference? Rather than believing all those lies and all that junk that was been put in there, maybe by the family of origin or maybe by the world or maybe by the devil himself, whatever. We got all these tapes that play in our head. Can you imagine if what we're living, the tapes that we're playing in our head are, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I belong to Christ, I'm chosen, I'm special, I'm predestined, I'm an heir. See, the truth sets you free when you know it and believe it. But if you're ignorant of it, you're, you could be, you know, a cheese and cracker Christian. You're on the ship, but it doesn't feel very abundant. But when you begin to understand how much God loves you and what God has done for you, it changes everything, you see. So we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in, in, in Christ. Um, it says that uh, he repeats again in verse 7 and 8 that he's lavished grace. He already says he's graced us with grace. Now he says he, he, uh, he's caused grace. The Greek word is Peruso, which means to overflow. So he's caused grace to overflow into our lives. So if, you, if I was pouring water into a cup right here and you watched it in a glass, and you watched it kind of fill up and you, you're kind of going, well, it's getting close to being full, JP, don't you see that? And then all of a sudden I just kept putting it in there. 
The water would just overflow, right? That's the word peruso. That's what it means. And that's what God's poured into our lives is grace. And it's just he's pouring grace, so it just overflows all around us. So, the, um, you know, Romans 5, the, the passage we looked at last night, I didn't, I didn't talk about this verse, but it says, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. I don't, you know, whatever capacity you may feel like you have to sin, God's capacity of grace is greater, much more, abundantly more. If there was a scale, you know, a big, a big scale here, and I, and I put on this side all, all of my trespasses and shortcomings, you know, it would tip like this. But then if I just put the grace of God on this side, because the weight of grace is always greater. And that's what this passage is saying. It's like, I've, I've graced you with grace, and then I've lavished, I've overpoured grace all over you. And then he says that we have had the mystery of God's will made known to us. Now, that, what does he mean by that? Because I, I don't know about you, but the, the question that I come to at different points in my life is, what's God's will for my life? <laughs> the number one question I ever get asked as a pastor in any kind of counseling situation is, what's God's will for my life? So I, I don't think he's talking about here about that individual decision you make about who you're going to marry, what job you're going to have, where you should live, what school you should go to, all those different decisions that we all make. No, he's talking about the will of God as it relates to mankind, humankind. God has a plan. God has a big plan, and his big plan is he wants as many people as possible to come into this saving relationship with Jesus and bless as many people as possible. That's the big plan. And God's kind of opened our eyes to that reality and it's and then it says he's he's summing everything up in christ but it, it it's all about christ um we just hired a uh, a middle school pastor at at our at our church and um we have a little process that we go through for for hiring in terms of interviewing and everything and the last kind of the last interview is with me i'm a senior pastor so he, he comes and talks to me and uh you know, it's funny, I just, this is just a conviction I have that you can have all kinds of spiritual gifts, you can have all kinds of spiritual knowledge, you can have all kinds of spiritual experience, but if you don't have a real vibrant, personal relationship with Jesus that's the core of your life, then all that other stuff's going to get kind of skewed, you know? So my interview with him was, was just all about, tell me about your journey with Jesus, tell me about how... You love Jesus. Tell me about your walk with Jesus. Describe to me what Jesus means to you personally. And we talked for a really long time. And afterwards, he was saying, I have never been, I've never had an interview where it wasn't about, you know, how big was your youth group in the last, you know, and what's your philosophy for discipling kids and blah, 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 blah. It was just, let's talk about Jesus. Because that's what it says here that God's going to do one day is sum everything up in Christ. The most important thing is our relationship with Jesus and our experience with Jesus and our connecting with other people and helping them find Jesus. And it's not about, you know, what church you go to. It's not about religion. It's not about all these other things because we got to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is all about Jesus. He says he's going to sum up everything in, in Christ. Um, and then he says, you also, 
So Paul's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, you also, after listening to the message of the gospel, having also believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So there is, in, that's in verse 13, there, there, there are what's known in grammar, which by the way, does anybody here actually like grammar? Does anybody say, I like grammar. I say, okay, God, God bless you. May your tribe increase. But, but it's like somehow when I was going through school, uh, maybe they were changing how they taught English and doing all that. I never took a grammar class. I never took one of those classes where you have to diagram a sentence and, you know, with the verbs and the subjects and the predicates and, you know, all that and a prepositional phrase. And, you know, I'd heard those terms, but I, I didn't know anything about it. And then I was, uh, you know, a history major in, in college, and I already told you about my college experience, you know, San Jose State. 2.4 GPA. Oh, and by the way, I, I went five and a half years, too. I don't know if I told you that. Yeah, so that tells you about the academic background that I have. So I'm in seminary, and I got accepted in seminary on probation because I didn't have the grades to get, to get accepted in a master's program, but I'd been working in ministry, and I had these great recommendations from my pastor and people, and so I got accepted. I had to get all A's my first semester in seminary, or I couldn't continue on, and, and I did it. So, you know, I matured, and I grew up, and I loved what I was studying, but I'm taking Greek for the first time, and it's grammar. I have to know in Greek what I don't even know what it is in English. <laughs> so I had to learn grammar in all over again and then actually learn it in English and then come to understand and learn it in Greek and then come to understand, oh, that's what that is. And I, you know. So in the, 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 the grammar here in, in this verse, there are participles and there's the main verb. And the participles they describe the action of the main verb. So the participles are you listening and you believing, but what's the main verb? You being sealed. And they're known as temporal participles. And a temporal participle is what is happening around the time of the main action. So this is, I'm saying all this to, to go somewhere. So what, what God is saying is, there was a time when your listening was matched up with true believing. And whenever that listening was matched up with true believing, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, see, one of the questions I, I, I didn't ask before we got started, I'll ask it now because this, it'll help illustrate my point. How many of you here know the exact point in time the, exactly when it was that you were born again spiritually and you received Christ. Raise your hand if you know exactly when that happened. Okay, how many of you, 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 you believe in Jesus, but you don't know exactly when it happened? Raise your hand. So now let me tell you, God knows when it happened. See, I know, for me, when I called out to Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, I told you a little bit of my, my personal story, my, my testimony. When I was 16 years old, I was reading the four spiritual laws, and I knew that, you know, I needed to have Jesus into my life, and I asked Jesus to come into my life. But God says here in Ephesians 1, 13, there was a time when our listening 
was lined up with our believing, and when our listening to the gospel was lined up with our believing, God sealed us with the Holy Spirit. It's the old, you know, the, the ancient custom was that a, a, a leader, a ruler, authority would have a, a signet ring with, a, with a, some kind of impression on the ring, and they would put wax on a sealed document and then stamp it, and then that represented the full authority of whoever put their signet ring in there. God did that with us. He put his stamp of ownership on our lives when he gave us the Holy Spirit at the very moment of our salvation. And that stamp of ownership on our lives at the very moment of our salvation was to guarantee this future inheritance in heaven. That's what we got. It's your birthright as a Christian to know that you're saved and going to heaven. It's, it's one of those spiritual blessings. God wants you to know it. He wants you to be certain of it. He wants you to be convinced of it. He wants you to know that you belong to Him. He wants you to know that He loves you. And there's nothing you can do to get out of His love. He wants you to know you're covered with grace. And there's nothing you can do to get ungraced. So here's, here's the, the power of, of this. And, and, and I'll just kind of wrap, wrap it up with this. When we see ourselves the way God sees us, everything in this circle, and what we just looked at tonight, one of the things in this circle is blessed with every spiritual blessing. When we see ourselves that way, and we, we, we embrace it as, as true, we know the truth, we're chosen, we're predestined, we're, we're loved, we're graced, we're forgiven, we're redeemed, we've obtained an inheritance, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and, and that is true about me and it's the way God sees me, then I can see myself that way. And because I can see myself that way, my identity determines my destiny. God's blessed me, and I can bless other people. God's forgiven me, I can forgive other people. God's given me grace, I can give grace to other people. And one of those people is me. I can give grace to myself. I can give forgiveness to myself. I can accept myself because God accepts me. See, this is the power of this whole, whole teaching that, I, that, that we're kind of going through this, this, uh, this week. Knowing who we are in Christ, it, it, it makes a difference. It literally transforms our life. And what we need to know from tonight's lesson is we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this passage in Ephesians and, and everything that you say in this passage. And I pray that um, if I've said anything that's true and consistent with your word, we'd remember it and we'd know the truth and it would set us free. But if anything I said was just my opinion, then I just pray we'd just forget about it and it wouldn't even come into our minds. But Lord Jesus, we thank you for the grace that you've given to us and the redemption and forgiveness that we have. May we live in the full freedom and love and power of that blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.